we're going we're gonna to take a little, uh, actually, today is a significant day, not only for the Jarmans, but today is a significant day for the church and recognition. It's Pentecost Sunday today. And uh, so Jesus died and, and rose again 50 days, what would be 50 days ago. And so that's Pentecost. And that's the, in history, it's the birthing of the church. The Spirit of God comes in power and the church is born. And so we rejoice in the promise of Jesus today and the Spirit of God both here as well as within our lives and uh, so we just want to take a moment to recognize that God is in our midst, and it's, it's him. He's the one that we've come to, to meet. We like to see each other, but we can get connected with people wherever we are. Um, we all come together as a church to worship God. That's a sweet thing. And we also get to hear from him. I was reading last night in, in uh, Psalm 119 with my boys before going to bed, and this is, the, this is the word from Psalm 119, 135. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. Give me understanding so that I might know your testimonies. This reminds me that we can read the Bible, but without the Spirit of God teaching us, we don't know him. It's amazing that we get to know God through the word. As we open it, we can pray. Holy Spirit, teach me that I might know you, that I might love you, that I might obey you. We get to come here in the morning on Sundays to offer something to God, our worship. And we also get to come here on Sunday mornings to hear from God through the word. And like the Jarmans did, every day that we open the word together as a family or as an individual, we get to hear from the Lord. And so let's pray and ask God to teach us this morning. Father, we do rejoice in your Holy Spirit and his presence here and in our lives. We thank you for your presence, Lord Jesus, your presence with us. We thank you that we have time to come. We set aside time to come to offer our praises. Let our voices and our hearts be in one accord as we worship you. And we thank you for your word. Would you teach us this morning, not so that we might just know something more, but that we might love you more, that we might walk in obedience more, that we might love each other and the world around us more. In Jesus' name and for his glory, we pray, amen. We're gonna take just a, a, little, a little pause over the next couple of weeks and we're gonna enter into the next book after Titus, which is what Pastor Matt is teaching us. We're gonna enter into Philemon and then we'll come back into Titus. And... Uh, so to give you a little history um, from, from the standpoint of Philemon in the book, the Apostle Paul, after the church was born, the Apostle Paul met Jesus on a road in the desert. He met Jesus. And, and then he begins to, he's sent out by the church and he begins to do all these missionary journeys all over the place. And a couple of them I was looking and one resource said in the 3,000 mile range. To give you a perspective, Miami, Florida to Seattle, Washington is 2,700 miles. The Apostle Paul traveled further than that. And he did that multiple times. All because of the joy within him to share of the Jesus and the gospel that he's met and known. 
so that not only as his life was changed, their life might be changed as well. And he, did, and he set up churches. He established churches as he went. God established churches through him. And, um, and so we have, uh, we have Paul, who is captured by the Jews and by Rome, and he's sent to Rome, and he's in arrest. He's a prisoner. Uh, although he has some freedoms, he doesn't have a lot of freedoms. And, and he sends, during this time, he sends out some letters. There's some letters that we have in Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon. He has, sends out letters to churches as he's in house arrest. People are coming to visit him. Um, he's just not able to leave. So this book, this letter of Philemon is written to a man named Philemon. But as we'll see here, uh, it's also written to a few others with them. And this book, actually, this letter is, is right alongside the book of Colossians. Okay, so these sort of go together. Philemon's a part of the church in Colossae. And, um, and Philemon is a wealthy man who's a leader in the church who has a slave. This slave is named Onesimus. We'll spend more time in the weeks to come looking at him and their relationship But he left, he fled from Philemon, and he fled, and he met up with Paul in Rome. It's there in Rome with Paul that he he heard the gospel, that he surrendered his life to Jesus and was born again. And he's ministering to Paul and alongside Paul in this time in Rome. Paul sends him back with Tychicus, another brother in the Lord, They go back and they carry likely these two letters together. Philemon, Onesimus comes in, his slave who left, not uh, not probably on good terms, and and he comes and he gives this letter. They give this letter to Philemon or to to Philemon and to the church. And so that's sort of the, the backdrop of what we're seeing here as we enter in. And um and we'll look more at that, those relationships in, in the couple weeks to come. But this morning, there's two things in the first seven verses that, that so if, you're, uh, if you haven't yet, open up to Philemon. We're just going to spend time uh, reading through this together. In the first seven verses, there's two sort of prominent things that, that uh, stuck out to me. One is this, is this Paul, a prisoner, one who's bound to Jesus. And there's some other terms that he uses. He talks to specific people in the church. He says their name and he says something else about them. And there's specific, specifically, we're going to look at how, how those terms bind us, how we're bound to Jesus, how these are bound to Jesus and how we are in the same, bound to Jesus for the sake of the gospel. And also how we're bound to one another. We'll see the relationship together that they have for one another. Paul's love for them as well as them as a church. And so let's, let's just read this morning. We're just going to read the first seven verses this morning. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints, 
And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So again, a, the, the title is A Joyous Slavery. There's connection between slavery and being imprisoned, imprisonment. Um, so we're going to look at how Jesus, how we're bound to Jesus in the gospel. The gospel says that we're united with Jesus. And at the same time, we're bound to one another as fellow followers of Jesus, one unto another. So it starts out and says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Paul is not a free man anymore. Paul's bound. He's, he's a captive. He's been captured. He's bound for the reason of the gospel. He says in, here uh, in Colossians as well as in Ephesians, for the Gentiles I'm in prison because I'm traveling and sharing the gospel. That's why I'm in prison here. And, uh, and he's imprisoned physically, but he's also, there, I think there's some, as we look at this word and this captivity, there's also a spiritual connection to this. There's physical and spiritual things that Paul's talking about, and I think that we can understand in part, from a spiritual standpoint, most of us can't understand necessarily being captured and prisoner from a physical standpoint. But in the book of Romans, he elaborates a little bit on this. I'm just going to read. Feel free just to stay where we're at. We'll enter back in there in a second. But he says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, physically, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, so we're entering the spiritual Either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So, physically, we engage in things. The Word of God says that before Christ, before that we believe in the gospel, we are dead in our sins. We're slaves of the prince of the power of the air, Satan. And to our flesh, to do what our flesh desires. We're in captivity. We've been captured in our birth as a human. Physically, we do things that are sinful, and those things lead us into greater sin and ultimately into a spiritual, a physical death, but a spiritual death. Also, on the flip side, when Jesus comes into our life and changes us and transforms us through the power of the gospel, our lives change spiritually. We're, we're given life. And at the same time, our life, fit, our, our life physically cha- changes, excuse me. We begin to do, as he says, we begin to do that of which is obedient to God and to the word. And that brings forth righteousness, a right way of living. And then he continues, but thanks be to God. So he says, uh, you are slaves, excuse me, let me just start again. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death, Or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin by the power of the gospel, 
You have become slaves of righteousness. So Paul, specifically a physical slave in Rome, but also a man who is not imprisoned spiritually, but a man who's free spiritually. He's free to live according to the righteous ways of God and thus experience true life. And, and he serves not himself. He's not, he's not a captive of himself anymore, but he's a captive of Jesus. Jesus has captured him. When he met him on the road, he captured him, he took him, he changed him, and he gave him life in himself. And now the Apostle Paul serves not himself in his own desire or the ways of the world, but now he has a new master. That's what the word Lord means, Jesus Christ the Lord. He has a new master, one whom he gets to serve joyously. So even though imprisoned physically, he's rejoicing spiritually because he has, he has life in Christ. And he says in Colossians, he says it um, In chapter 2, right before chapter 2, I think he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. I rejoice in my sufferings. The sufferings that I've endured in all of my missionary journeys, being beaten, being shipwrecked, being stoned, being whipped, near death multiple times, now imprisoned in Rome. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. He says, in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, the church. And so Paul has a joy, even though physically imprisoned, he has a joy spiritually because he is not in prison. He's been captured by a good, merciful, loving God. Look around you, brothers and sisters. Look at the person next to you. Look at the person on the other side of you. Look at the person in front of you, at least the back of their head. Turn around, make it awkward. Turn around and look at the person behind you. Um, as As fellow followers of Jesus, we can all say, I've been captured. I have a new master. He's changed my heart spiritually. He's given me a new life physically. And even if I'm imprisoned in some capacity, there is no man, there is no woman, there is no power in heaven above or beneath that can take away being a servant of Jesus. So I ask you, brothers and sisters, today, is there something that's imprisoned you? Physically, maybe, or spiritually, that actually has no authority to do that? Are there expectations that you have for yourself that are so high, you just, it's oppressive? Are there expectations that others have upon you? What has imprisoned you? Are there addictions that you're like, oh, please? Jesus says, I've come to set the captives free. We can believe the word. God says when we believe the word, we find freedom. We're set free by the word. And also, we're prisoners one unto another. We're fellow servants of Jesus. We're not our own isolated person kind of doing our own thing. Who around us? How can we engage more with people around us, brothers and sisters, and say, hey, how are you doing? 
If there's something that God just spoke to you about imprisonment, just write that down. Share that with a brother or a sister whom you trust and love and know that they love you. And say, I just, can you pray with me? I want to find freedom that I believe is true. I want to find that freedom. And can you help me do that? We can encourage one another. So he says, I, Paul, or excuse me, he says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. And then later he says, and Apphia, our sister. It's amazing to me when you read the New Testament, even just the epistles, over 140 times we see this term, brother. When you read the word in the New Testament, there's such affection for one another in the church, for each other. It's not just a name. You're my brother in the Lord. You're my sister in the Lord. We've been united with Jesus to become sons and daughters of God. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, the apostle Paul is talking about the life he has now. And he says, I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. It's Jesus' life in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live, excuse me, uh, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus' life is within us. That's how we are sons and daughters of God. And Jesus says, as our elder brother in the Lord, he says um, in the book of Hebrews, it says, for he who sanctifies Jesus and those who are being sanctified, the church, all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. Jesus isn't ashamed to call you a brother or a sister. Regardless of what you've done, He's not ashamed of you. Regardless of what someone else thinks of you, what other things people say about you, Jesus isn't ashamed of you. He's made you a fellow brother in the Lord. He's made you, he's opened a way that you might have a relationship with the Father. We're brothers and sisters and the term brothers and sisters can only come when you have a parent, right? And who's our parent? The Father in heaven is our parent. We're bound to Jesus through the gospel. We become sons and daughters of God. And at the same time, we're bound to one another as brothers and sisters in the Lord. Often I try to, to speak in that way. I don't know everyone super well, but I often try to say, Brother Mark, maybe, or Sister Lisa. And, and what that does is it creates a, um, it creates a family. It creates a, it's a term of endearment and affection. As we speak that way one unto another, it takes this away and becomes this. We begin to be more affectionate in the way that we view each other. We become more unified in the way we view each other as a church, as a family of God. That's what we are. I love affection. I hug people. 
a friend of mine says, people have skin. Why do they have skin? So you can touch it. Otherwise, we wouldn't have skin. So he hugs people a lot. Um, I'm not trying to necessarily be like him, but I just appreciate that. And, uh, and I think when we do that, walls of separation begin to break down. When we speak with affectionate terms, my dear friend, when we use that term one with another, because we are bound to each other, the walls break down between us and we can begin to be more real and open with each other. So if you're not quite comfortable hugging somebody, that's okay. Um, do it anyway, okay? Uh, just take your time, take your time, there's no pressure. But try to begin using terms of endearment and affection with brothers and sisters in the Lord, or showing some affection. Um, and see what happens. See what walls begin to break down. See what encouragement you might be to someone else through expressions of love like that. So Paul continues and says, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. Side note, Apphia, our sister, um, is thought to either be Philemon's wife or a sister of Philemon. Um, so he says, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. That term fellow worker means associate, helper, a companion in labor. That's what that means. So again, we're thinking about being bound to Jesus. Think about this. In, in, in first, uh, first Corinthians, excuse me, he says, those who, those who water and those who reap, have one, they're one together. <clears throat> so in the scriptures, it talks about sowing seeds and watering and, um, and reaping a harvest, but it's God who brings growth. If you remember that, that's the same portion. And, and he says they have one, they're, they're one together. And um, he who plants and he who waters are one, excuse me, I said that wrong. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, same term. Our lives bound to Jesus. We are fellow workers, even as Philemon. We're associates, helpers, and companions in labor. Of who? Of God. We are associates and helpers and companions of labor in God's work. That's what he's saying. Philemon, you're a worker, a helper, an associate of God. You're working with God to accomplish his purposes. How amazing is that? Being bound to Jesus and opens a door for us to become helpers of God, to become associates in the labor of the gospel. The Apostle Paul knew this well as he traveled thousands of miles, believing that as he spoke, God was saving people through his message, through God's message in Paul. He's an associate and worker. You, my brothers and sisters, are the same. Fellow laborers, fellow workers. God uses you. Think about your work for a moment. Is your work, is your work significant? 
Well, if you're a follower of Jesus, yes. Because God is not only helping you crunch the numbers or helping you build the home, but you're doing it in work unto him. God opens doors of relationships that you get to have with people in all areas of your life. And he's working in their lives too. Believe that. As you share the gospel, it's not about how good you can share the gospel. God is going to do it regardless sometimes. Sometimes you're like, man, that was horrible. And they're like, can I follow Jesus? Yes. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you, God. Right? We need to open our mouth. We need to do the work sometimes because it's God who's working it out. And we are fellow workers one unto another. We are helpers of each other. We are associates together as a body of believers, as a family of God, to encourage and to walk and to endure at times. One of the cool things that the students are doing in student ministry is um, we've been working all year on something called the Three Circles Gospel. You can look it up on Facebook. It's a, it's a gospel story in a, in a way that you can share it with people. And what we did at the end of April, we, we said, who in your life, two people in your life, who you believe don't know and love or follow Jesus, write their name down or their initials on this board, begin to pray for them, and ask God to open doors so that you can share the three circles gospel with them. You should have seen it was amazing. The first, the, the first week after when we met again, in the middle school group, the first group that meets, there was a rush to the board for markers. Because we said, cross them off when you do. When God opens a door, through your prayers and through your word, cross off their name. And we will see together how we are sharing the gospel with people as associates and helpers of God and his work to save people. He continues and says, to Appia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier. You'll see his name in Colossians as well if you read Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. This word, this term fellow soldier is similar but a little bit different. This word is, um, looks more at like a war, it's, it's more of a warlike word. Obviously you see soldier in there. It's an associate or labor in the conflicts, in conflicts for the sake of Christ. Okay? So we are, the reality is there's good and evil. We see that in all the movies we watch. There's good and there's evil. Spiritually, same thing. There's what is good and of God. There is what is not good, what is evil and what is against God. Two camps. We aren't immune to that, brothers and sisters. Although we might not see it physically, it's the reality. We are, even as he said to Archippus, Archippus, you're a fellow soldier. You're a, a fellow soldier. Don't be surprised when conflict comes, when difficult things come. He says to Timothy, he says, specifically in the book of Timothy, 2 Timothy, he says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Share in the struggle. It's a warlike time, specifically then, but you guys know it's, it's although it takes a different form, it's so similar. We see it in Texas with the school shooting just a couple days ago. Good and evil, it's everywhere we go. 
And we are engaged in that. And he says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. It's not just the things around us that we see physically. We don't get entangled in civilian pursuits since this. Since his aim, the good soldier, his aim is to please the one who's enlisted him. The gospel says, Jesus has captured you. He's a good, merciful, and loving God. He's captured you, and you have been, as I was when I was 18, I wasn't enlisted. Some of you were enlisted. Thank you. But at any point, something could happen. We could be enlisted. Praise the Lord, we're enlisted already with the king of the universe who has full control over everything, and in the end, will be the king, the conquering king over over evil and, and has already over death, all of that will be gone. We're enlisted to him. We fight, we labor for him. We pray in accord with what he's doing as he's establishing his kingdom on earth and in our lives. And, um, and so, brothers and sisters, what is it you're striving for? What is it you're fighting for? What is it you want so bad? The Puritans, there was, two, there was two things from my understanding that the Puritans were zealous for, and it challenges me deeply. They were zealous for Jesus and the gospel, and they were zealous for their wives. And he says in one of, the, one of the readings I was going through, he says, um, one of the Puritans is writing, he says something like this. He says, how is it that we can be so zealous for things just in life? And when, when you see people that are just really zealous and excited and they give their hearts and lives over to something, we can say, that's so noble, that's so good. But when someone's zealous for Jesus, that's not. That's, that's, that's weird. That's too much. Think about this. If you're zealous for something that's good, that's, that's good. But if you're zealous for the one who created it and the king of the universe, you're zealous for something greater because he's greater. Brothers and sisters, what are you fighting for? What are you giving your lives to? It's a noble thing, maybe. But Jesus is even greater. Be even more zealous in fighting for him and alongside our brothers and sisters that we might continue to train each other, encourage, sharpen each other as fellow soldiers of Jesus, even as occupants. And he says to the church in your house, and then he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father the Lord Jesus Christ. A greeting that you see over and over and over in the scriptures. The grace of God in the gospel and the peace from God in right relationship with him. Shalom is this word in Hebrew. It just means wholeness of our body. We're good. The peace of God. He says, now, in, the second, in this next portion, you'll see, again, being bound to Jesus 
being bound to one another for the sake of the gospel. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. I struggled with this as I, as I read types like, you know, in, the, in a lot of the texts in the New Testament. It's like I remember you often. I, can t- I never forget you. And I'm like, how can I pray? How can I do this? I thank God always when I remember you in my prayers. How, how is it possible to do that like every day? I, there's so many people. This word remember is just when I re- I'm recalling you in my prayers. Now, if I was traveling 3,000 miles, I would probably be doing a lot of recalling right, alongside each other. Hey, how do you think they're doing in Colossae? How do you think they're doing in Ephesus? We're just praying. As God brings them to mind, we're just praying. I just encourage you, I was driving on the road yesterday, drove past a brother's house who moved a couple years ago, and, and I was, God, thank you for them. Thank you for saving them. Thank you for their life of faith. And I don't see them. I called them. He didn't answer. I left the message. I love you, praying for you guys. I hope you're doing well. I'm just recalling you. God brought you to mind, and I'm just remembering you in my prayers. And he says, he says, I'm remembering you because I hear of your love. This word love is, a, is agape love. It's a, it's, a, it's a preferred love. It's a choice love. I'm choosing to set my affection on you. When our children are born, when you have brothers or sisters that are born, there's nothing they do to earn your love, right? They come from the womb, which is amazing. That's incredible. A baby inside of a mom is an incredible thing that God's doing. It comes out, the child comes out, and you choose to love them. There's nothing they've done. You choose to love them. God has chosen to show his love for us in Christ Jesus. We can love. He could say, I thank God and give him praise because I hear of the love that you have for, this, for Jesus in the gospel and for the saints. In 1 John it says, we love because he first loved us. God made the move, just like you did to your children. I made the move to love you. I chose to love you, son or daughter. God has done that for you, and over time... There's a response to that love. When God changes our hearts, he makes the move and loves us. Through Christ Jesus in the gospel, we understand it and believe. And we grow in affection for him. We respond in love for him. And so he says, I thank God for the love that you have for Jesus. You're bound to Jesus as a fellow laborer, as a fellow worker. You've been saved and captured by him. And you love him because he first loved you. And then he says, and of the faith that you have. This word faith means persuasion. I've been persuaded. I've been persuaded to believe because something's trustworthy. You guys know as well as I do, when people try to, try to maybe sell you things, like I'm going to go to someone that I know and I can trust that's not going to take advantage of me. And if they say something that's contrary to this person, I'm going to be persuaded because I trust them. The gospel comes forth, and God is the divine persuader. He's captured us. 
He persuades us this is true. When you read it, you believe it, and you say in your spirit, this is good and it's true. I've been persuaded by God in the gospel to believe and to follow. So Philemon, I give thanks to God and remember you in my prayers because I've heard of your love for the saint, for Jesus and for the saints, and because of your faith in Christ Jesus, you've been bound to him. And then he says, I pray that the sharing of your faith or the fellowship of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. When you read this, it's like, oh, I can, I can get that up to this point. And then you're like, you just went like 300 leagues into the sea and I cannot follow what you just said. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. And as I've spent time looking at this in the, in the wording and the choice that was used, the fellowship of your faith, I pray that, so now there's this bound to one another. The apostle Paul is praying for Philemon and for the church. I'm praying that the fellowship of your faith may become effective. Fellowship literally means partnering or participation, partnering and participation. We are partnering together with a common goal. We're moving somewhere. We're together. That's fellowship. So though we use that term pretty loosely about gatherings, ultimately the gospel and Jesus is what unites us. We're participants together. We're partnering together for the sake of the gospel. That's what fellowship is. And um, the the fellowship of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing. Effective is um, like this working out, this active working out of faith. And full knowledge is like this um, knowledge of a particular point or uh, knowledge, like experiential knowledge. So he says, the fellowship of your faith may become, may become being born, may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. So the best that I could do, and I'm not an interpreter, I'm not a translator, I'm, I just pray, and Lord, you do it. So I'm looking at all the words, trying to put this together, and it would appear to me, based on how the word is in the Greek, that this is what's happening. He's saying, the active working out of your faith that's effective, this being born and effective faith, the active working out of your faith in the community of believers, in the fellowship of believers, will bring forth firsthand, the full knowledge, will bring forth firsthand experience of every good thing that is ours. And then it says, for the sake of Jesus. The active working out of our faith in a community of believers brings together an experience. We begin, to, we begin to know what faith is in a different way because we're living it out. We're participating with God. We're, we're, we're stepping out in faith and we're meeting him and we're realizing you're actually still here, God. You're actually still with me and you're gonna meet me. We work out our faith together in a fellowship of believers, encouraging and walking alongside each other for the sake of Christ, 
that, mean, that, that literally for the sake means to like penetrate into. So two things. It's for the sake of Christ. It's for the glory of Christ. The working out of our faith in a fellowship of believers. Growing faith. The ministry that we engage in one unto another as well as to the unbelieving world and the sharing of the gospel. As we work that out together, as we grow in maturity and in faith together, we are doing that for the sake of Christ, for the glory of Christ, that, that people would meet and follow Jesus. And then also, it's this penetrating. What, when we meet and when, we are, when we're so overcome by the, by the glory of Jesus and the gospel going forth because we desire Jesus to be known, that that brings us to press into Jesus, to desire more of Jesus. So there's, so there's we're, we're, again, we're being bound to, we are bound to Jesus, being bound to Jesus and one unto another. And we seek for Jesus' glory and we seek to press in. We want to know this God who just met me in that moment. And so we press into Jesus more and more. And then lastly, he says, for I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. The heart is like the heart of the emotions of our being. It's our inner self. Refreshing is rest. Paul is saying, Philemon, your love for Jesus and your love for the church, for the saints, because I hear that, I am comforted. I have great joy in the Lord, even though a prisoner and in, in captivity, I have joy in the Lord. He says, because the hearts of the saints, Paul's saying, I am I'm comforted. I have joy because the saints are being refreshed in their hearts through you. Philemon, your work and your love for Jesus and for the saints in Colossae is encouraging me, Paul. I'm comforted by that love. how you show that you are bound to one another as fellow believers, as we do that. We can be not only comforters to one another, but maybe even comforters to people that we don't know because our brothers and sisters do. How many of you have had that moment where you're like, you meet someone you don't know and they're like, thank you for loving my daughter, my son, my husband, my wife, my friend. Because you have encouraged my heart, you have brought comfort to me through your work. So brothers and sisters, praise the Lord that we are bound, we are captured by him through the gospel and that we are bound to one another for the sake of the gospel. And that's a joyful place to be even as Paul was. Thank you, God, for the gospel. Thank you that you meet us. Thank you that you are the one who captures our hearts. Thank you that you are the one who enlists us into your work. 
You are the one whom we get to be an associate of in your work. You are the one who makes us a son and daughter and a brother and a sister. You are the one who binds us to Jesus, never to be broken. And you are the one who binds us to one another, never to be broken. For we share in the blood and body of our Savior and King Jesus. So God, help us to remember this and help us to live joyful lives of captivity, always being reminded of you, always being affectionate towards you. In Jesus' name, amen.